0: You're with Julianne and a retrospective review of the British gangster film The Long Good Friday, which I watched for the God knows how many time uh, the other night. And I'm not including it in Gone But Forgotten because I think it's fairly well established as one of the greatest British films. There's a notion of the, you know, this very hard-boiled kind of gangster movie that came out of Britain, but it's actually sporadic. Um... And revolves for me around three films that were didn't really have anything in common. The finest of the bunch is Get Carter. Um, and analogous to Get Carter in a way, Michael Caine starring Get Carter, which is one of the best films ever made. Um, at the start of the 70s, and alongside that performance, Nicholas Roeg's film performance starring Mick Jagger in it, of all people, um, was half a psychedelic trip and half a quite hard-edged gangster film. Um, but then years later, you've got at the other end of the decade, in 1980, John Mackenzie, who never really directed anything of this stature, either side of this film. Um, Fourth Protocol with Michael Caine wasn't very good. Um, a few films are, are reasonably well-known, but nothing I don't think that is particularly great. Hit Gold with... The Long Good Friday, which made a star out of Bob Hoskins, and Helen Mirren. Um, I'm not sure how many films she'd been in before this. I know she was in Excalibur around 1980, so maybe that did as well. <clears throat> but this is the epitome of hard edge gangster films, and it's it's kind of sad when you make a great piece of art that what it inspires can often be so bad, or such a bad representation. <coughs> sorry I'm doing lots of reviews today um, the fact that this film is credited with launch, <laughs> with no Longu Friday there's no Lockstock there's no Guy Ritchie there's no Snatch there's none of that kind of film and I think that's really unfair because they are not films that have anything more than banter they do not have such an incredibly complex and stylistic screenplay as this film does Um, so we get a fascinating montage opening which shows what looks like money being delivered by gangsters and one of them in his I think maybe first film role uh, Derek Thompson um, delivering some money showing that he's very interested in a boy Uh, another gangster man and the money gets delivered to these three guys in Ireland who look like they're the IRA and then people shoot them to death who look like and this is the one part of the film of this incredibly complicated story that I've never quite got right which is are they who's how how has this happened I'm not really sure but they look like they're either the opponents of the IRA or they're the British armed forces taking down, the, well, who are the opponents of the IRA. But um, they could have been the, um, prod, uh, the um, non-IRA terrorist groups attacking the IRA, uh, the pro-British ones. And I don't think it's ever really established. But after this montage, we get the stunning soundtrack by um, Francis Monkman, who was in the band Curved Air and quit. Being in bands to pursue soundtrack work after this film, because it was such a successful soundtrack. We get Bob Hoskins getting off a of concord and walking down the airport uh, concourse uh, with this incredible, like white version of exploitation music, black exploitation music, uh, and it's fantastic. The soundtrack throughout is awesome. It's very art house and it's very very strong. And we come to understand that he is trying to broker a deal with the American mafia to redevelop Docklands. And this is a very pre-Margaret Thatcher look at the UK changing and becoming something that people that can't let go to the past are having difficulty dealing with, Bob Hoskins character is trying to, as Harold Chand is the kingpin of the underground organized crime in London. And he wants to get the Americans on board to help finance the redevelopment of this real estate, multi, multi million dollar real estate, and become a legitimate businessman. So the Americans are arriving that day. His partner is Helen Mirren, and they are trying to manage the impression the Americans have of him and his organization being hugely competent. What quickly happens is his mother is taken to church by one of his drivers in a Rolls-Royce, who then comes back to the car and is blown to smithereens in an explosion. The first shot in what becomes a war by an unknown entity on his businesses. So he finds out just as these Americans arrive and he's got this houseboat on the Thames, and he's, you know, he's got like a party yacht on the Thames River, and is um, handing out champagne and buttering them up too much in an uncomfortably cloying way. Um, the news comes through that the the driver that took his mum to church has been blown to smithereens, and his mum's in hospital suffering from shock, and that is just the first shoe to fall. And the it's got that panic building paranoia and panic uh, that a film like Uncut Gems has where the lead character is desperate in fact this is the proto Uncut Gems where the lead character is desperately pursuing the deal that will save him whilst the entire world he exists in is collapsing all around him and unable to see that and refusing to acknowledge that. Um, The events start unfolding at a rapid pace I don't think that there's a scene in this film that's wasted we get a debut Pierce Brosnan meeting the uh, Derek Thompson guy who's gay at a swimming pool and luring him into a faux sexual encounter that ends up with him murdering the um, Derek Thompson character called Jeff who's the right hand man or, or was the right hand man of Bob Hoskins And all day, while he's smoozing the Americans, Bob Hoskins is getting these phone calls saying, this guy's been killed, this guy's been killed. Hoskins is very in with the police in London and is hammering them to try and get answers. No one can really get any answers. Gradually, things start to unfold because of bombs being found that this actually might be the work of the IRA. And people are telling him You have got to take this more seriously. He is very much of the opinion that he is the kingpin of organised crime in London and has been for 10 years. So he's got nothing to fear from people that will act against him. And the lead cops are saying, well, actually, you do, because this is the IRA. This has got nothing to do with organised crime. These people are fighting the British Army. You have to take this more seriously. And it's this constant juggling. And in the, um, as a side, Helen Mirren's character is trying to hold everything together as the competent one that can see the truth. And we also get um, Brian Marshall as the counselor, who is, we later find out, he's the guy that facilitates a lot of the deals that Bob Hoskins does, including this impending real estate deal. He's a counselor, but he also owns a lot of building firms who are run by Irish builders. And we find out at the sort of midpoint that these Irish builders have been trying to send the money they pulled together to the IRA and had used Bob Hoskins' organised crime outfit to do it. Hoskins, the the leader of this organised crime outfit, knew nothing about this. And the whole thing went terribly wrong. So he's fighting this ghost, and he doesn't even know why the ghost is fighting him until way into the movie. The lorikeet is back. Go away, I haven't got any food. Things get more and more stressed out, and we also get, um, I think it's um, Paul Freeman, or is it Eddie Constantine, as the new right-hand man to Bob Hoskins, who is shown to be disloyal to him in a scene with Helen Mirren who's very attractive in this film and he's a young attractive man and he expresses that to her and I love how clever a lot the writing is in this film because she then relays to Bob Hoskins that he is possibly the traitor not because she relays that he has tried it on with her but because it triggers something in her that she remembers a scene before where uh, the counselor character had said something cryptic to this colin uh, if it's colin or if it's charlie i'm not 100 percent sure um and said something cryptic and she now realizes that her partner bob hoskins can't trust this guy because he's tried it on with her and she actually says you know maybe you should be looking at this guy because it's got to be someone on our inside that knows what's going on i'm looking at this lorikeet now Um, It's a breakneck almost screenplay in that it moves from one disaster to another and he's constantly papering over the ever bigger cracks with uh, the Mafia until things blow up into an incredible denouement um, which he overreaches so far and the end sequence of him sitting in the back of a taxi is one of the finest and the the acting by Bob Hoskins where you see every single emotion go over his face from the anger to the resignation. It's an incredible sequence. Um, this film is a masterpiece. There is nothing in it that isn't perfect. Um, it is so convoluted in its Screenplay that is is—it's actually quite difficult almost to fully grasp the range of what's going on but in a way that relates to Bob Hoskin's character he's a guy that cannot see beyond his own horizons he cannot see that beyond those horizons the horizons where he's been the king of his domain for a decade that there are other much more powerful things at work that he can't fight that he isn't powerful enough to fight and he can't deal with it. Is he's, he's like this absolutely combustible character who, nevertheless, shows empathy where it's due. His mourning of some of the people that die, the way that he responds to bullying Hera, Mil, Helen Mirren um, with a great deal of sadness when he snaps at her and she starts crying. He actually like wakes up. It's like, what the hell have I become? It's an immortal performance from Hoskins, his finest hour. And Helen Mirren is his equal. She is absolutely magnificent. Everyone in it is pitch perfect. but those two really do stand out. And I think the, the, the strongest element of the film is the themes. The themes about you know fading empire, about someone that's very powerful not realizing when the time has come. It's about its fatalism. Um, you know, Aussie man, this sort of fatalism about how his empire could never fade into the sun and that actually being destruction, coming to his doorstep. Um, and him not being able to deal with that. And also, it's also about the empire itself, the British Empire fading. There are lots of sequences in it where there's references made to the changing nature of England where he goes to a street that's now largely populated by um, people from the Caribbean diaspora and laments that there used to be only good families here. And another guy talks about how certain workers are on strike and how that wouldn't have worked in World War II when they were fighting the Nazis. And we get and in, in all of these references to this changing white Britain about how it was so perfect and this new britain and it's all ironic because he's intertwined with the coming thatcherite link with europe and the speech he gives towards the americans at the end is so loaded with irony and it's so magnificent where he berates them and says about how they would never have you know the brits stand up for things i don't run away and um, how he's joining with a, with the Germans. The irony of it is just magnificent. Like I said, the music is fantastic. The screenplay is superb. The acting is outstanding. It's a difficult film. It's one you have to really follow because the, the plotting is so complex. But like I said, the fact that the lead guy doesn't understand what's going on kind of puts the viewer in the position of not understanding what's going on either. And I still don't, completely get what happened at the start or why or what the motivations were and i think in another context that would have been a failure but when we're asked to spend the whole film with bob and he himself doesn't fully grasp what's going on around him it actually works by putting the viewer in that point of confusion and the soundtrack is magnificent Um, so every bit the equal of get carter um two absolute outstanding performances from Helen Mirren and Bob Hoskins. And one of the greatest, I think, British films of all time. And a not an easy watch. It's not, you know, it's not watching The Great Escape or something. This asks a lot of you. It asks you to pay attention. It asks you to consider the themes, the weightier themes that aren't overtly spoken about. Um, So I'm going to give... I keep wanting to go into Bob Hoskins' and his voice in this, um, but I'm gonna give the Long Good Friday a 10 out of 10